Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Samantha Fay, And I'm Deb Bowen. And today we're going to be talking in our Back to Basics series about how to overcome self-doubt with your psychic intuitive ability. And I think this is a really big topic, Deb. I know you and I have gone back and forth over the best way to approach this. You know, do we focus on religious fears, skeptics, naysayers, personal self-doubt? Because it is, I think, the biggest stumbling block in developing intuition. I do too. We second guess ourselves. We we spend years saying this isn't okay. There are a zillion reasons. I think that folks say, oh no, I am backing way away from this stuff. And yet it's a legitimate sense that keeps knocking on the door of our hearts really until we pay attention, I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, I was trying to do some research to just get some backing besides you know, my opinion and your opinion. And I found a transcript that was um, of a speech given by Charles Tart. He's a parapsychological researcher and professor. He's best known for his research into the nature of consciousness. And years ago, he gave a talk at the Parapsychological Association talking about his research with psychics and intuitives. And he said there are several reasons people are afraid to recognize and validate intuition. One of the main ones is that many think, okay, if intuition is real, then is all the other spiritual stuff real too? And if it is, well, for many, it will create too many changes in their life philosophy. It's this fear of change that maybe is at the heart of this. So I just wanted to share what some of the people that Charles Tart worked with had to say about what it felt like to realize they were psychic. One person said, They might think I was crazy. I could be really humiliated saying all these wild things. I had to deal with it by just doing it and doing it. Deb, how many times do we tell our students that you just have to practice this and keep doing it? Absolutely. All the the time. Now, another respondent said it was frightening to begin doing psychic readings. I usually kept my psychic stuff to myself. I'd have to say something and then wait to see if the other person would validate it. It's like exposing yourself, especially if you're going on and on without getting any feedback, like taking a dive off a cliff. And gosh, (laughs) that really rang true for me. I have said to students, and I think on this show too, for so many years, doing intuitive work is like starting a brand new job every day. That's a great way to phrase it. You know, I remember when I first started in this world 
so many years ago. And I would read for devout friends who had agreed to be my guinea pigs, basically. I prefaced every reading with, I'll do this reading, but you've got to promise not to believe me. And what I meant by that was that I was so uncertain and I was so scared of what was coming through me. And once I realized that it wasn't me, that it was what was coming through me that was important, then I began to understand that I could really lighten up and let go and trust. Excellent point. That's the whole key, isn't it? Getting our ego out of the way, getting ourselves out of the way and realizing that we're just a vehicle. One man who was concerned about the distortions of psychic functioning induced by his own personal need to please people. He said, I wanted everything to be okay for the person I was reading. And when it wasn't, that raised a bunch of personality issues in me. I mean, I do energy work and stay grounded, although that raises issues too. But all I can do is keep sticking with it. I have to fight the desire to make everything okay, to block any unpleasant psychic stuff. It makes me give incorrect information. I help people more if I tell them what I really see. What do you think about that? I agree. I think he's right. And I also think it's really, really important that no matter how much we get validation and no matter how, quote, right we think we are and and how accurate the information is coming through, the person with whom we're working always has choices. There are always twists and turns and, and as we say, plot twist in the way something is going to play out. And we never really know what that's going to look like as folks really make choices and paths change. Very true. And I think it's important how an intuitive chooses to pass on the message because you can do so with grace intact and that reminder of choice, like you said. So Charles Tart also said that a number of these psychics express strong ambivalent feelings over the forced change in their own nature that occurred as they kept practicing psychic stuff. One said, if you do get through to the other side, you'll be unalterably changed. I'm afraid of that. I got into this to read other people, but the effects on the reader's personality are more profound than on the people you read for. It's constantly bringing up your own noise and ego in ways you have to sit with. You're going to get nailed for that in this work. Your ego stays six inches in front of your nose the whole time. You've got to consciously make a decision to move that ego out of the way. And that's a learned skill, just as learning to work with your Claire's is a learned skill. You've got to learn to do that. And I absolutely agree that over these years, my life has been changed far more drastically than any person for whom I have ever read or taught in a classroom. I mean that really very seriously. And I think I told this story on the show before too, but I remember back in the 70s, somebody saying to me when I was just really opening up and I was like a kid in a candy store and a sponge about everything and trying to discern what resonated truly for me. And a coworker said to me one day, what do you really believe? And that was such a profound life altering question for me. And I went home and I started to write out what I believed. And I wish I'd had the forethought to keep the various versions of the writing that I have done over the past 50 years to answer that question so that I could see how I have morphed and grown and changed on paper 
but I, I haven't. That has been an evolving document and is a still evolving document. And I hope it will be until the day I pass over of what I'm learning and growing about and, and how my worldview and my view of metaphysical world and myself have changed and grown as I have learned more and researched more. If, if, there's, if there was one course that I would really love to teach, it would be some kind of a seminar with folks who really want to explore the answers to that question. What do I really believe? I think that's really important. And I think it's it's critical that people realize when you do engage your intuition, you will change. You will. And you just have to accept that fact, but you will change in, in, in good ways. Now, a lot of people expressed fears about the isolation that psychics have from ordinary people. One person said, life can be made difficult. When I go to college functions with my husband, I go by his name, not by my psychic practice name, to avoid the complications and rejections I would otherwise run into. Then Tart continues, there was a lot of fear that as you get really involved in using psychic abilities, you make other people uncomfortable and frighten them. One person said, I do body work and I'm a healer also. I can touch someone and remove a block. People do feel this when I touch them. I don't do it until I feel they're ready to handle the issues around this. I work with the issues that come up because they do get afraid. I've been called a lot of names like a witch. So I focus on people's personal experiences without using or experiencing psychic kind of powers. So it sounds in there like she's kind of afraid to actually use the right verbiage to protect people's fears. And that certainly also brings up the issue of, and we've talked about this a zillion times on this show too, the ethics of this. She can't go around doing stuff to people. And I don't, I, I'm not implying that she is, but, but it's important that we, to know we can't just go around doing stuff to people, even if we think it will be helpful without their permission. You know, a lot of times over the years, somebody has said to me, oh, are you reading my mind? No, I'm reading this book I'm holding in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not reading your mind. I can't read your mind. And I don't want to read your mind. (laughs) There's a lot of misinformation out there about what we do and who we are on a daily basis in our lives. Yeah. And I think that's something that intuitives need to come to peace with inside of themselves, that there will just be some people who will never get you. They'll never understand this. And we have to be okay with that. So here's what he says next. And I'd love to hear what you think about this. He says, basically, there's a general repression of psychic abilities to shut off that channel. So it never comes through consciously. And then the conflict appears. Now, this is not ultimately healthy because repression per se is not a healthy defense mechanism. You cut out part of your reality. But he says, I think the primal conflict repression accounts for a general lack of psychic functioning in our society. And it also may explain some of the intense levels of resistance you get to the appearance of psychic abilities. To deny a spiritual self is a way to not have to live with the conflicts of disappointment, cultural disapproval, And that's why I think we get militant atheism sometimes, militant denial of spirit. There's a lot of psychological pressure underneath. And even worse, suppose that spiritual stuff is true, that I am supposed to be making something of my life and I've just been having fun or kicking ass because I'm getting ahead and making money. Well, he says, 
Maybe people are thinking there's nothing to that spiritual stuff anyway, so I've got nothing to worry about. The idea of opening to the psychic stuff, which maybe starts opening to the spiritual, threatens to raise these kinds of conflicts. So repression of our higher selves, our spiritual selves, may be a very real factor here. Samantha, don't you wish that you had a nickel for every email that we have gotten that says, I knew when I was a child, I was psychic and I shut it down. I shut it down because of family. I shut it down because of friends. I shut it down because I thought it was evil. I thought it went against the teachings of my faith. On and on and on, those very reasons that he has just outlined rear their heads and people shut that ability down and it lies dormant, just bubbling under the surface until at some point later in life, they're willing to look at it again and then they don't know what in the world to do with it and all the fears come bubbling up with it at the same time. Yeah, but I also think what he's saying here to me is that it's almost as though an interest in psychic stuff is like the gateway drug to a spiritual life and that people are afraid if they embrace this gateway drug and say, oh yeah, psychics are real and intuitive ability is a real thing. Then they have to move to the next gate, which is spirituality, which could involve changing intrinsic aspects of their belief system such as success equates money or I have to achieve or I shouldn't have to share anything that I have or all the other things we, we believe in. What, what do you think about that? Well, you know, because I have never personally been without a spiritual foundation, although that, that has changed over the years, but I've never been without the absolute certainty in my life personally that there was a higher power way bigger and broader than me. So that's not a personal conflict that I have ever had, but certainly I have seen it. I know someone who spent many years of her life, almost 30, deeply involved in a Christian denomination. And then she went to college later in life and was exposed to a lot of other belief systems and philosophies and so forth. And then she completely denied the notion of any kind of spirituality. And I have watched her struggle as she is still actually going through this atheism place in her life to figure out some kind of meaning in her world. And it's certainly not my place to say what I think is happening with her. And I think that at some point pendulum may swing in her life, but I may be wrong about that. But I do believe that when we open ourselves up to this world of psychic phenomenon, I think we often realize that there has to be, at least for me, there has to be some kind of spirituality attached to it. Yeah, I agree. So then he says, finally, there's the disassociation of defending yourself against fear of Psy. I don't do it. I just channel the spirits. I'm not psychic. It's the cards. It's the tea leaves. It's the horoscope. It's in the reading of the aura or something like that. It's a manifestation of what Kenneth Batchelor, the late parapsychologist, called ownership resistance. You don't own up to it. You act as if you didn't have anything to do with it. Now, I kind of have a problem with that little quote there, Deb, because I feel like I think I do that because I always feel that the energy comes through me, not from me. I I believe that strongly. I think here's the difference, Samantha, because I hear what you're saying, because I was thinking the same thing as you were reading that. 
I think the difference is, yes, I believe that information comes through me. What's important is that I allow it. That is, that is my contribution and my responsibility. That's really important. Yeah, you're right. We need to take ownership for the fact that we've studied this. We've learned how to raise our vibration. We've learned how to protect our energy. Is that what you mean? Well, yes. And, uh, and I mean that just in a given psychic situation, I allow myself to be open to that information to come through me because I could shut it down. I know how to do that. Right. You know, so, so that is my part in it. And that I, and also that I translate that information in a way that is clear and kind to the person with whom I'm speaking. That's the most important part. So he says the ultimate way of dealing with your own fear of psychic abilities is personal and spiritual growth. Anything and everything you do that lets you know yourself better, that integrates you better, that makes you less rigid and more open, that makes you more compassionate, that puts you more in a spiritual relationship to the higher aspects of the universe will at least in an indirect way deal with the fear of Psy. Isn't that what it all comes down to? I think so. Know thyself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's what some of the respondents said to him after he gave this speech. One woman said, I had what I call an expanded awareness experience in 1974. A friend very beautifully said, you are the same person, but there's more of you. And there was definitely too much of me for the man I used to be married to. Now there's an ambivalence in me. I feel like the fullness of being aware, but I don't like having to dampen down and be less than me. So there's a tremendous ambivalence. I think that's especially true in this culture today. So as I grow in my sensitivities and awareness, I enjoy experiencing and living that. But there seems to be an ambivalence in society towards those of us who have these abilities. I think I'm still working on mine, certainly to develop them. I see a double reaction. I see groups in society like this who really want to grow and open. And I feel a whole other force that's trying to shrink us, to shrink our ability to be our full selves. I thought that was pretty powerful because there is that dichotomy that we have to wade through as spiritually awakened people. This is true. I think that's a hard part for a lot of folks is that societally today puts so much of ourselves in boxes. I wear this hat and that hat and the other hat. We use that phrase. So we compartmentalize our lives. And I don't think that psychic ability and connection to spirit can be put in a box. It transcends the boxes. And that's what makes it bigger. Yeah. There's a spirituality to washing dishes and doing laundry. You know, it's, it's that wonderful phrase from that book from the 70s. Before I was enlightened, I chopped wood and carried water. And after I was enlightened, I chopped wood and I carried water. And that's such a key point because many people think when they do awaken to the fullness of their abilities, everything's going to change on the outside. And while that might be true in some areas of your life, it's really the change inside. And so that's why I like what that woman said, how her friend told her, you're the same person. There's just more of you. I love that now, phrase. Another respondent said, there's a burden to knowing so much, to knowing the depth of life, and it's safer to deny things. To know things is to know about our possible power to do good. And then we have responsibilities that go with that. It seems like we should be using it all the time. And the other side of it, of course, is, I suppose, our power to do evil. 
And that whenever we tap into this realm, we know a lot more. We see evil. We see destructiveness and viciousness and cruelty, and it's terribly painful. It's much easier to retreat into a world where we know much less. I struggle with that every day. I don't know that I think of it in terms of how much more I know. I think of it in terms more of how many more questions I have. For me, I think the word is belief more than just know. I think that's an important distinction. But I think what she's talking, well, what I felt when I read that, when people discovered what I could do, you remember those early years, there was an onslaught of request. Mm -hmm. Everybody needed something from me. They needed their missing relative found. They needed... They needed you to find their their lost jewelry or their missing cat. There was request to work on this cold case or this ghost situation or read me, no read me, read me and then read him. And that it was very overwhelming. And um, I just felt like no one person could ever respond to all of that. And then I, also, I think when you do readings often, and I, I mean this with no disrespect, but very often to me, it feels like being a, a priest, a a pastor, a rabbi, or a or a therapist, because people tell you everything, and so you do see the grief and the misery and the the depths of despair, and and that is really hard to hold and, and hold space with for people. It's it's hard to do that and continue on chopping wood, carrying water, and doing the laundry. True, and I think that's one of the reasons why, certainly in my classes, and I know you do in yours. I am forever saying we as psychics are not the be all end all. We need a, well, I used to use the word Rolodex, but I don't think there is such a thing anymore, of names of professionals who might be better suited to continue on work with with the client's questions or issues after they've seen us. Yeah, I think that's so important to have a list of referrals because sometimes people need an intuitive and sometimes they need a therapist and sometimes they need other things. So we need to always tap into that community. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some specific steps you can take to overcoming any self-doubt you have with fully diving into and embracing your intuitive ability. Wonderful, Samantha. Let me tell folks about a class that I have coming up on Tuesday night, eight o'clock Eastern time on February 23rd. It's a course in candle magic, how to work with the energy of candles, of colors, of oils and directions and correspondence to certain days and certain hours of the week so that you can really begin to tap into bringing together a combination of universal energies in your work. So that's Tuesday, February 23rd, working with candle magic. And the information for that is on my website, debbowen.com. And I certainly would appreciate it if folks would subscribe to my monthly newsletter. It comes with a free downloadable MP3 meditation each month. Sounds great. And I'd love for you guys to check out my newsletter too. It just went out this week. You can subscribe by going to my website, samanthafay.com. I'm currently teaching my mediumship 101 class. I've got the advanced mediumship class coming up in March. And in April, I'll be teaching the Be Your Own Psychic class again. So to find out all that information, you can click on my website and subscribe to the newsletter. Okay, let's get back to overcoming self-doubt. I think the number one step, Deb, is first of all, to remember that everyone is psychic. It's a proven natural ability. 
And if you guys don't believe us, do some research. Look at the CIA's recently declassified research into this, especially their remote viewing documents. There's a wonderful podcast and a website called The Black Vault that has all of these declassified articles that you can access so easily just by going there. Or you can read Annie Jacobs' book, Phenomenon, or Leslie Keen's book, Surviving Death. Go to the Winbridge Institute website, read their research on mediums and intuitives. There is so much information out there that really proves this is an ability, a natural sixth sense. And I think it's important that you do that research so that in moments of doubt, you realize this isn't weird or woo-woo or wonky. It's, it's a legit thing. And every single day, which seems to be accelerating in my mind, it's getting more and more mainstream. Don't you think? I hope so. <laughs> I mean that really. I'm not being funny. I, I mean it. I hope it is because I remember when it was not. I remember early on doing those readings out at that little historical museum place and being all covered up in tons of makeup and scarves and using a kind of a quote stage name because I couldn't tell people what I did in real life. It's getting better, but it's not completely well, you know? No, it's definitely not completely there, but it's that bridge is being built. And I'd say it's halfway done. I mean, the surviving death documentary based on Leslie Keen's book is in the top 10 of Netflix shows right now. That should tell us something. I also think it's really important, and I know you teach this as well, Deb, to start a validation journal so that you can record every time you get something right, a precognitive dream, a hunch that later come true, a feeling about a person or a situation. Start this right away, like today. I remember way, way back, like, 20, how old is she now? 20, 22 years ago, I had a friend who was really struggling with infertility and she and her husband just kind of gave up. They didn't have the money for IVF. And, you know, she was like, if this isn't what God wants for my marriage, then I just accept this. And it was, she just announced it. We were, they were over here for dinner one night and it just made me really sad because I knew how much they wanted children. And I hugged her and, and that night I had a dream that I was at her christening. And she was christening a baby girl. And I really struggled. Like, do I call her and tell her I had this dream? I didn't, I just felt that would be hurtful, you know? Right. So instead I just wrote it down in my, in my journal, which I still called a diary back then. And I, and I, I date every page of my journal and, and I wrote the whole dream down. And two months later, she called me crying and, and said, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And I said, oh my gosh, I think you're having a girl. And I, I took a picture of the, the journal and I saw her at work a couple of days later and, and I showed her the photo. And sure enough, you know, she had a little girl who just graduated college. Isn't that wonderful? I do agree with you. I think it's so important to keep records. And the more you valid, the more you write, it seems the more validation you get. And I think that you also can see your progress and see the consistency with which the information comes if you allow it. So yes, I'm a firm believer in validation. I, I, I tell my tarot classes all the time, please write down your readings. Please, please, please keep a record because I didn't and I wish I had. Here's a really important one that I still struggle with myself. Do not compare yourself. Do not do it. We all have different intuitive strengths. When I started doing readings, I would watch John Edward every week on his Crossing Over show, and I would think, well, God, I stink, because I thought I'll never be that good. 
I mean, haven't you done that where you look at people just do readings and you're like, holy cow. Samantha, I have compared myself to you for 12, 13 years. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) You bet. Absolutely, I have. I, I certainly do. It took me a long time, and and like I said, I'm I'm still working on this, but it was really from the people I read that gave me my confidence. I mean, it was really you know all all of you guys who have gotten readings from me, you're the ones who helped me with this and are still helping me with this because I started to realize, okay, I might not be able to get you know first and last names like Sharmar Golis or just do that machine gun validation, 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 like John Edward. But what I do give to people in readings is something just as special, you know, validity and confirmation, warmth, compassion, understanding. But I had to realize the way I deliver messages is different than the way anyone else does. And that's okay. Well, it is. It is okay. You know, you and I have very different styles. I am far more didactic. I am far more, okay, here it is. What you're going to do with it kind of kind of thing in a reading with me. And that's okay. They're just, they're just different. Exactly. Because sometimes you need one type of reading and other times you need a different type of reading. And, and I started to look at what I had to offer and what everyone else had to offer the way I look at artists. You know, sometimes I want an oil painting and sometimes I want a watercolor and sometimes I want to look at a really cool collage. It's all different and it's all good and it's all art. And so maybe just thinking about the intuitive abilities you have now in that light will help you if you do struggle with this issue of comparing yourself. I also think it's important to work on facing, recognizing, and it hopefully releasing your fears. And this is a big one because these fears, as we touched on early in the show, involve the fear of what people will think, the fear of attracting something negative into your life the fear of going against your faith, and the fear of getting something wrong. So when we say confront your fear, it's not just one fear. It's a whole messy suitcase of fears. It is a whole messy suitcase of fears. And they rear their heads in different ways at different times. And I don't know that we ever completely overcome them and have this amazing self-confidence. But I do think that we learn how to recognize them when they show up, because sometimes their appearance is insidious. It's not overt. The fear, for example, of your fate isn't this big cloud in the sky that says God is going to strike me dead if I read Tarot. It's never quite that, or at least for me, it's never been that overt, but it's always been that you're not quite good enough. Or who do you think you are to be talking about spiritual matters? You're not licensed as a priest or a minister or a rabbi. How, you've not trained to, to talk about this. It's not related to Tarot. It's those kinds of little voices that I hear sometimes that I have to say, well, wait a minute. I, you know, I've been studying this a long time and I can only tell you what's coming through. So you have to be, you have to be aware of the, the comments that you might get or the thoughts or feelings that you have when those fears arise. Yeah. And I think you have to look at the source of who's projecting those fears. Do you know what I mean? Like, if someone says to me, oh, you're doing the devil's work, I used to take that really personally, really personally. And then I started looking at the people that were saying that, and I realized they were really fearful people. 
who were hugging the Bible like a security blanket. And rather than looking at them with judgment or fear of, oh my gosh, are you right? Or anger. I just started to look at them with compassion. Like, oh, that's how you hug yourself. I get it. That's cool. I hug myself in a different way. You know, to me, what brings me comfort is connecting with my guides and angels in addition to honoring my idea of God and and Christ and Mary and, and the angels and all of that. When I started to look at it objectively, like, okay, who is pasting this label across me? Where are their beliefs coming from? How are their beliefs serving them? And when I started to look at the people in my life who were saying this, I was like, being involved in your church is really important to you. And teaching Sunday school, that's a label you wear proudly. And that makes you feel safe at night, that you're doing the right thing. And that's what's important to you. And so when you project this label of, oh, you're doing the devil's work onto me, it's not so much a judgment on me, but it's more a reconfirmation on them that who they are and what they say, think, and believe is right. And if that's serving them in that moment, God bless. I can come at that question from from a similar perspective, Samantha, but I also come at it from this. One of the things that this journey has done for me is that it has opened me up to exploration of thought and world beliefs and ideas and spiritualities and religions that I had no knowledge of when I was younger. And it also taught me that wonderful thing that Aristotle says, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's the idea that it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a notion without completely accepting it. And so it, it, it broadened my perspective to be able to say, oh, isn't that interesting? I don't know anything about Jainism, for example, but I have done some research in Jainism, or I know just a little bit about the Baha'i faith. What might it be like to explore a little more about that? So my worldview has been broadened beautifully from my perspective with all of this. And so when somebody comes at me with this, you're doing the devil's work, or your, what you're doing doesn't fit into my belief systems as someone else, I think, oh, golly, I'm sorry. I, I really wish for you that you had the experience or the desire, perhaps, to at least entertain a broader worldview. I know. Remember back in the early days when I would do drive-by readings? which yes, I do. you should not do, but I used to do them. And that repairman came to my home and his mom came through and he said, you're doing the devil's work. I said to him, do you believe in dinosaurs? And he said, well, no, of course not. It doesn't, he said, that's all fake, you know, so that the atheist can get us out of our, our biblical mindset. And I thought, okay, That helped me right there to realize exactly what you're saying. This was a lovely man who had just never taken the time or had the desire to expand his worldview and accept that his mother really was trying to pass on these messages that he validated from the other side. Couldn't He couldn't handle it at that moment in his life. For me, this has always been a matter of curiosity. I have always been so curious about what I couldn't see. And sometimes what I could see and sometimes what I could hear. And where did that come from? And who is this? And what is this all about? And is there a world beyond what I know? I remember saying to my high school Sunday school teacher, who was a wonderful woman and did give us an opportunity to explore 
so much in the little church I grew up in. And I remember saying to her, you know, there's we can't be it. This one little planet out here in that great big universe out there can't be the only focus of God's energy. I remember thinking that at 16, and, and I certainly still believe that, you know, but that paved the way for so much more exploration. Right. But see, what I'm saying is there are so many people who don't have that seeker's mindset. They're so comfortable just accepting what was spoon-fed to them at the table of their childhood. We have to understand that that's where their judgments and criticisms are coming from. That's their security blanket. I agree with you. And I also think, at least from my experience of having dealt with some folks who who see the world the way you've just described, that that is so fear-based. It is. I punished if I explore something beyond what I have been taught. It really is fear-based. You're absolutely right. Now, another question I get all the time, all the time, like at least 10 emails a week is, I'm really opening up to this, but my spouse partner is not. What do you advise? And the one thing I always say to this is if you are coming to this point in your life where you realize you are on the spiritual seeker's path and you are intuitive and you want to start embracing it and working with different psychic tools and your spouse or partner is like, what the hell are you doing? One thing I recommend strongly is that you ask them to give you grace to figure this out. But in tandem with asking them for that grace, you also listen to them because they have legitimate fears. You know, anytime we commit ourselves to someone, we have to realize that that person's going to change a lot throughout the years, just as we are. And with all change, for most people, comes a lot of fear. And so sitting down and just listening to them, what freaks you out so much about this, I think is going to be really, really helpful. What I don't think is helpful is hitting them over the head with it, you know, like, <laughs> like coming home from, like I used to do. Coming home from an intuitive development class and being like, oh my God, I just got the most amazing validation. This is so cool. This is all real. And you have to believe it too. That's <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> and that's why finding a like-minded community is so important. I can't tell you how many times I have sent up prayers of gratitude for Granny Jean and Joel for all these years, nearly 50 years we've been together, walking this path and learning and sharing information and, and accepting or rejecting or whatever, this journey together. And when you joined in along with all of this, it was like, yay, here's somebody else, you know? I think it's really important that you have somebody in your world that you can share this with so that your partner maybe has opportunities to just take a deep breath and say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's, let's just talk about what we're going to have for supper. What does open up people to say, really tell me more, is watching by example how beautifully these changes are affecting your life. So if you just have patience and grace with them and ask them to have patience and grace with you, over time, they will see that just like that early respondent that I was quoting from in the beginning of the show said, it's not that you're going to be different. There's just going to be more of you. And soon your partner or spouse will see that. And, and I think that's what's really important to focus on. You know, you can't change somebody else. Their way of being in the world is their way of being in the world. 
and they may come around to being curious or asking questions or, or wanting to join you and then but they may not and and that's something you have to accept as a possibility but that's true with any kind of change we do in our lives not just in this world but any change we do people people want you to be who you always have been to them and when you're not somebody's got to adjust or not well it's your mobile example if if one if one little swan hanging from the mobile cha- moves and changes, every other thing dangling from the mobile moves and changes. That's right. Exactly true. I also think it's crucial to do the inner work. You've got to heal your wounds. So to be on the spiritual path and fully awaken to your abilities, it's crucial to work on forgiving yourself, to look at your shadow, to embrace your inner child. Fear leaves when you do this inner work. And I just need to say that I think that is an ongoing lifetime journey. I think it's like peeling an onion. We keep peeling away layers of it. Really, I feel like I'm done, completely healed. <laughs> I'm kidding. Samantha, I stopped breathing when you said that. <laughs> no, I had no idea I was with such an enlightened <laughs> Hell to the no. No, I'm still working every day. I think if any of us are here on this earth breathing, it's because we have inner work left to do. That's what Richard Bach said in Illusions. It's so true. And so there's always going to be aspects of ourselves that we have to look at. But I really feel the message I always get, because I get frustrated with myself because there's, I feel like there's some lessons I'm working on that, you know, I'm like in summer school for the third time on. It's like I keep failing that lesson. And the message I always get from my guides is it's okay. It's okay to fail. What's not okay is to not try to work on this. Just keep showing up. I think that's true. But you know, I want to move us into the in our last little segment here of the of our hour with folks to being tired. To sometimes just we talk about psychic burnout. Sometimes we just get tired and we need a break and we need to rest. What do you think we'd do with that? Well, I think that is about setting boundaries. I think that's about really having hard and firm rules with yourself and your team of helpers about when you're ready and willing to do this work and when you're not, because it can get overwhelming on many, many, many levels. A firm boundary in your mind and your heart that you stick to of when you're on and when you're not on. Because running this energy, in order to do psychic work, you have to have your vibrations running so high and that feels great and it's wonderful and it allows you to be open and receptive. It's like running a marathon for 24 hours. You can't keep that pace up. And so you have to have long moments in your day, your week, where you shut this all off and you're just a human. Now I'm going to say something counter to what I said earlier, but but bear with me here. Because I said earlier, you know, there's a spiritual and psychic component to doing the dishes, for example, or doing everyday tasks and chopping wood and carrying water. And yet there is also the need to do those tasks and to be, for example, fully present with a partner who might not live in this world with you, where you just put this work aside for a little while and give yourself a break from it to recharge other aspects of your emotional and physical and spiritual batteries. And that's okay to do that. And I think we all have those different ways of doing that. As an extreme introvert, I have said for years that joy for me is being alone in my house 
or walking on the beach by myself or or watching a sunset or, or being in nature in some way alone. And while I have been in this quarantine for such a long time, that has served me well, but it has also blurred the lines between the psychic and spiritual work that I'm doing and the chopping wood and carrying water work that I'm doing and that need of how I recharge in different ways. I was on the phone yesterday with two of my friends. I'm very fortunate in that two of my best friends own local bookstores. And so I had talked to both of them yesterday and and said I was coming into the city to come see them and, and pick up some books. And I'm I'm so excited to see them. And I'm so excited to go into my local bookstores and realizing how much I need sometimes escapism and books let me go there. So I think it's an important aspect of this process to know when it's time to take a break. We're, we're quoting my grandma here, you can't give from an empty well. And so if you're doing this work and yet you're irritable or you're fussy or you're having um, problems eating or sleeping or any of those kind of somatic issues that indicate that something needs to shift in you, it is time to take a break. It is time to say no, not right now. Yeah. And it's, it's not only your duty to recognize those signs inside of yourself, but it's your duty to the world of spirit as well. And so everyone is going to be happy. You your clients, the people you read for, and the people on the other side hoping to get messages and information through you are all going to be happy if you take time for yourself. It's important to recognize what feeds your soul and do more of that. Now, for Deb and me, what feeds our soul very often is doing this work, but there are ways you can do this work that don't drain your energetic batteries, like doing research or working on personal prayers or playing with crystals or setting up grids. So find things that make your soul sing that do not drain your energy. And that will really help set and preserve your boundaries for preserving your energy and preventing psychic burnout. So folks, we really hope that this episode has been helpful to you. We hope it has given you some comfort to know that some of the thoughts that you have and feelings that you have are not putting you in a box alone. There's a community of folks out there who really have experienced and are still experiencing some of the things that is happening to you as you deal with burnout and trying to navigate your way through folks who may disagree with you or how you put your spiritual being in connection with your day-to-day life. So we, anyway, we hope that all of this has been helpful to you and we sure appreciate you being a part of our community. Amen to that. Have a great week, everyone. Be the light for yourself and others. Take care, everyone. You are listening to Psychic Teachers, a podcast for seekers, light workers, mystics, and magical thinkers. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on iHeart, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Google Podcast, Podbean, and more. Thanks for listening.